Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. We have been in a series on shame. I'm going to depart from that slightly, but not entirely. Uh, I was, first, I want to build a, a segue. Uh, how old is Caden? Hold up fingers. Somebody tell me. Brittany, nine, eight, two, two fingers. Okay. That's his father uh, messing with him. Okay. How old is he? Tell me the truth. How old is he? Oh, 11. One finger on each side. 11. There we go. Okay. 11 years old. There we go. <laughs> I thought Jeff was messing with me. If you knew Jeffrey, you would believe that he would be messing with me live and in color. Um, matter of fact, the point of this story is that unique deposit of grace in Jeffrey's life. Jeffrey and Brittany uh, have a son named Caden who is 11. Summer is here. They are out in the sun, the water, and all of that. Uh, Caden is a lot like uh, my wife and, I will say, my wife's grandchildren and children. They all have this sort of olive complected, is that complexioned skin is the right word, I guess. And when they go out in the sun, they just turn this brown, brown. Matter of fact, um, I recall when we began early on dating... I was a cop at the time, and before I'd gone through the law enforcement academy, I was at the airport, and she had gone off on vacation with her family for the beginning of the summer for the first time. And, I mean, she gets way dark, 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 dark. So she walked all the way into the airport and got up to me before I noticed and that she was there. I happened to be talking... She's never let me forget that because I happened to be talking to another young woman and was sincerely just telling her airport stuff, but it was nonetheless one of the brand new side awkward moment. So there you go. My wife gets that. All of our kids do. Me, I turn a glorious shade of red, then sort of like an exoskeleton. Then it peels away and I just have brand new skin. It's why I look so young and vibrant. The... um, you're laughing. That hurts my feelings. This past week, Caden has that kind of wonderful gene. He gets out in the sun and even more than his parents. He just turns brown, dark, dark, dark. So his dad was sort of messing with him the way that Jeffrey has a gift of grace and says, you know, son, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. We must have some other race or ethnicity in our background. He says, I'm not even quite sure what you are. Now, this is Jeffrey again messing with his son in the most glorious of father and son ways. I've said all my life that a male child is the ultimate pet. I think my son is damaged. If he's watching this morning, he'll sing amen right now. Uh, Damaged because of that. But you can get them to do things you can't get a small dog to do. I mean, it's just amazing. So anyways, very much in the spirit of that. He says, I'm not even, even sure what, you know, he may be something in the background. He said, boy, he says, when you fill out a job application, now... Caden was in here last Sunday like he is this morning. Um, And if you weren't here last Sunday, then this is going to catch you off guard, and then I'll explain for those of you who weren't, but here it comes. He says, uh, what are you going to write on a job application when it says race and ethnicity? He says, I'm going to write what Pastor Tom said, holy. (laughs) Now, 
If you were here last week, you get that. The, the, the teaching ended last week with, we are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy chosen generation. And when, when Peter writes those words in the New Testament, the Greek terms are ethnos and genos. And again, it's, that, that means genes and ethnicity. And I said, it wouldn't it be funny if one of us so believed that, that the next time we filled out a loan application, credit application, whatever, that we... We wrote in that blank instead of white, Hispanic, Latin, black, African-American, whatever. We wrote, we would write holy, you know. And so that was the joke. So I'm glad that someone was listening last week. <clears throat> so now, you see, we're t- talking about shame. I just used shame on you right there in case you missed that. Um, you know, the amazing thing is this week the, the graduates are here. And like I said, I'm pushing aside shame just ever so slightly, but not entirely because I want to say to you quickly, by the way, you guys already got your first sermon for Cody Lee in worship, so that one was a good one to come for, that my song can penetrate things even when I can't articulate that. So the question today is, what advice would I give, uh, what advice would I give students that are standing at the threshold of this wonderful emancipation of being able to make all your own choices according to the law? Now, in the United States of America, you get to pick, you get to choose. And so I'm going to talk about that as we did on Wednesday night. Wednesday night we celebrated them as well, and, um, and that was a, a, a wonderful time. And, um, but this morning there's three things that I think as I sat through the last several days and, and thought, what, what advice would I give you? And the three things that I would want to run by you. A man, I'm going to change the third one slightly, but uh, because of what else happened here this morning. Whose opinion matters? What am I afraid of? And am I willing to risk being unhidden? Now, I'm going to say that again. Whose opinion matters? What am I afraid of? And am I willing to risk being unhidden? Now, for those of you that are here and those of you that are watching online, you'll notice that I may be looking sort of to my right a little bit because this is the one Sunday I set aside and I speak to these five graduates and it's to the graduates, how many we have. Um, now, we all get to be the beneficiary of that, but we're, we're moving quickly on that. When I said whose opinion matters most, last, um, last year we did a series on opinion. And I'm going to run those definitions by you. I'll try to, for those of you, leave them up long enough. You can catch a picture of them or take some notes. If you would like the notes, I will email them to you. Tom at New Hope Online. Tom at NewHopeOnline.com. Now, I discovered in what began this whole opinion series that we never finished. Surprise, surprise. We really just got into because the series was interrupted by running headfirst into the series that would become entitled Spirit Time. And, and it just so overlaid this that we, we took a turn there. Well, I say we, I took a turn and forced you to follow, I guess. But uh, the word opinion comes from the root of the word for glory, doxa. Glory is the radiant essence of a thing. The essence of a thing, God's glory, has the ability to radiate, live in, and and just shine out through who we are. And it shows up at the surface of our skin in a thousand ways. But strangely enough, the, 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 the root meaning of the word glory is the word opinion. At the very root of it, and, and it developed over time. So our working definition of glory is, listen, is God's self-opinion imparted to me? God's self-opinion. 
That is the essence of God and his opinion of himself is imparted to me. And that opinion is without limitation. How does he transmit that? He transmits that by way of the Holy Spirit who lives in us from the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of our life. In fact, let me skip ahead just a moment. Amanda, if I could have 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, watch these words right here. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The Spirit living in us does this work of glory and transformation. Now, I'm going to go ahead and sort of give this away early, but... um, no, I'm not. Hang on. Let me give you some definitions. Sin then becomes, if we're using this opinion phrase, sin is finding my identity anywhere in anything other than God's opinion of me. Would you say that with me? Read it off the page. I want everybody here to especially read it, including our, our five graduates, but you're going to help reinforce that. Here we go. Sin, finding my identity anywhere in anything other than God's opinion of me. Now, at the close of this, just in a few minutes, we're going to present them with a copy of Scripture. The opinion I'm talking about is found right here. It's found right here. Don't just read it with your eyes, as the psalmist says, write it on your heart, okay? So then, watch this. If sin is finding my identity anywhere in anything other than God's opinion of me, that happened and started in the Garden of Eden It is the the curse on mankind. We look everywhere. We look for acceptance by society, by culture. By the way, I use the word culture a lot, and for those of you who don't know, you know, it's one of those sort of liquid terms, you can't quite nail it down. Culture is simply this. It's the way we do things. Right when I said that, I happened to look at Jason Cape, who's um, a lieutenant in the sheriff's department. If I were to say, tell me about the culture of the sheriff's department from the organizational management side. He'd look at it and say, well, what do you mean exactly? I said, tell me the way you do things. I don't care about what posters are written on the wall. I don't care about the mission statements because as we've, as we've used here in leadership, mission statements are what's written on the wall. Culture is what's happening down the hall. I don't care what you write down. What you do will tell you your culture. Your culture, so I, I, could, I could look and, and let me see, I'll pick on Tom Hodge. What's the culture of your family, Tom? He'd say, well, what do you mean by what's the culture of my family? I want to know how, the way things are done and what matters. The way things are done and what matters. And he would say that, then I would take him a third step and say, I don't want to know just what the way things are done and what matters. Now, in order to find The tension in a life, watch this, is when, these are not in my notes, I didn't plan to say this, but you need to hear it this morning. In a home, listen to me, in a home, in a business place, in anywhere, write down a list of what matters. First list. Secondly, write what is being done. The degree to which there's a difference between this list 
And that list will be the tension in your home or relationship. Can I say that again? Write down what matters with values. Then write down what's being done. The degree to which you are or are not doing what matters will be the tension in your home. I can't say that enough. Where there is that tension, let me speak to parents. Where parents, you say this, but you do another thing, the degree to which there's a separation will cause disengagement and disconnection of the children. Disengagement or disconnection of the children. Of all the things that my two children, as they passed through adolescence and and wanted to express their emancipation at moments of frustration and anger, I am thankful. I'm not waving a banner because we were not perfect parents. We are not perfect people. But I am so glad that in those years of emancipation, what what we did not hear is, you are a hypocrite. Because we tried to keep those things synchronized. And listen, it's, it's not a, a, long, a long list, the values we live. But if a value, for instance, is living, I'm sorry to chase this this morning, I don't know why I am, but this will be good for you guys, okay? Be really good. Write down what matters, write down what you're doing. The degree to which there's a separation, I'm going to say a different phrase, will cause cognitive dissonance. It's a disruption. It's an absence of peace in, in, your, in your mind. So synchronize those two. And you say, oh, great, I know how to do that. I'll just change the list for what matters to what I'm already doing, you know. Okay, so it's like, I lie, cheat, steal, and I love to shoplift. So, I'm going to change, no, anybody get what I'm saying? That becomes a silly thing when what we do informs what matters. What what matters must inform what we do. Um, uh, So live that. Okay, so here we go. Sin is finding my identity anywhere in anything other than God's opinion of me. So again, what matters is making up our mind whose opinion matters. And for a year and a half in student ministries, we've been hammering that home again and again. Let me move quickly. Mercy, then, is God refusing to join me in any opinion of me above his opinion of me? Isn't that wonderful? That's a working definition. The four times that the, the, this, this Greek term, shows, 74 times, it shows up in the New Testament. I love putting in say no. It's the places where God says no. No, I won't join you in that. Yes, I'm right here. No, I won't join you in that. I will not. Mercy says God is right there. Matter of fact, the Old Testament, the psalmist says, mercy follows me every day of my life. In heaven or hell, if I make my bed in heaven, God's going to follow me there. Isn't that amazing? But he will not join you in the opinion that caused you to get there. What we've learned in the last few weeks in studying shame is that God speaks to us In our hiding places, he doesn't wait for us to become unhidden to speak from him. He'll have a whole conversation, but here's the good news. You need to know this because God has an agenda. He will start the conversation from where we are hiding, but he never, ever intends to leave us there so you can expect him to poke around. He will gladly begin the conversation there, but he never wants to leave us there, okay? Mercy is God refusing to join me in any opinion of me. Above his opinion, me. Now, watch how then confession. This is a wonderful term. And homo legeo means to say the same thing as. That's the word confession. Watch how this makes sense. Let me back up. Sin is finding my identity anywhere outside of God, uh, any of God's opinion. 
Mercy is God refusing to join me and reinforce and empower any opinion of me above his opinion of me. Then confession is the moment at which I, I embrace God's opinion of me above my opinion of me. How many know that's closing the gap? Okay. But confession is sort of a mental, spiritual ascent. Yes, Lord, I see where I am, and it's separated from your opinion of what I can be. So I'm embracing your opinion of me, but then repentance is the first act and evidence of God's opinion replacing my opinion of me. In other words, I act on it. The word repent means to turn and go a different direction. Isn't that wonderful? I want to give you one more word, judgment then. Watch this. How many know that we serve this God, sits on a throne, very big, probably gold, huge. He has a long gray beard, lightning in his eyes, lightning bolts in his hand. They're labeled judgment, and he exists for the opportunity to get to fry us with one of those. Praise God. And he's probably going to hit you first. That is not God, and that is not what judgment is. Listen, read it in context, this wonderful term. Judgment is simply God allowing me the choice of living in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. That's what judgment is. There's nothing worse than that. Or I say, no, God, I'm not going to accept your opinion of me. And he says, okay, I won't force my opinion on you. You can walk in your opinion. It's a legal term. I'll allow you to walk in your opinion of you. As a matter of fact, the times, here, students, the times in your life when most often, and I can make the exception to the rule, when you will find, God, why did you do this to me? At somewhere, at some point, where you are will have been brought on to some degree by a choice. Okay? Now, that's not the end of the story. There's a lot more to go with that because for many of you here, I just heaped some shame on you. And let me give you one example. In talking to uh, couples that you're married and you're 10 or 20 years into a marriage and, and you find that it's just been a struggle, there's this point of irritation, and you say, Lord, I don't understand this, and, and I am not here today to say, well, you made the choice. For some, that, that is the case, that there was every voice in the world saying, no, don't do this. But that's not the majority of the time. See, because you can really begin seeking God, walking with God. Two people make a commitment. And then at some point, see, each person still has the power of choice. And where that one may veer off the path while you stand in covenant, you will incur the penalty and the reality of that. And to that extent, really, you didn't ask for it. Matter of fact, when the nation of Israel was hauled away into captivity in the second half of the Old Testament, there were many, many, many good and righteous people that were hauled off in captivity because of, uh, because of the sin of the leadership that, that really it, it fell them. Those moments will happen. In life, you will face situations. So that's the exception to the rule. Okay, now to the things. Uh, whose opinion matters? What am I afraid of? And am I willing to risk being unhidden? The third one I want to simplify a little bit more. Have I worshipped? And it's, this more, it's more simply here. Have I worshipped today? And I'm going to explain that. Worship involves, the, the scripture said, and Amanda, you don't have this verse. Uh, matter of fact, uh, almost every one of you here, if I asked you what worship is, you'd say those that worship the Lord must worship in spirit and in what? 
Truth, there you go, okay. And the word truth means unhidden. Mankind lived in the first created environment in the Garden of Eden, totally unhidden before God. It was the only pure environment of worship. Listen, isn't it neat to think about a place where hope did not exist? They didn't have to hope for anything. It just was. They lived with the I am. And un- And here's another thing that went on. When I, when I was thinking about that when they lost their their vulnerability and transparency. The Bible says they listened to the wrong voice. All you guys say, wrong voice. And then they made a choice based on the wrong voice. If there was anything I would tell you, I'd say beware of voices and choices. What voice are you listening to and what choices are you making on the basis of that? What voice, which brings me back to the the word of God. Whose opinion matters most? You will make choices based on the voices of the opinion that matter most. Now, I, I would love to go at great length. As a matter of fact, if you have any questions, if you'd like to get together, go to Starbucks, wherever you'd like to go, sit down and talk one-on-one and say, talk to me more about that. Boy, will I be there in a flash and tell you about that. Voices and choices are critical. Who are you going to hang out with is critical. You heard stories on Wednesday night for those, some of the elders sitting at the tables. I, at each of the table where there's a graduate and family, I ask one of the elders to just be seated with them and tell them a story about a choice, either good or bad, they made at this very window of life they were in. And some of them were, were funny. Some of them were just incredibly penetrating. But if they were funny, they were still penetrating. Uh, Steve Madison, one of our elders, uh, told a story of the importance, just powerful story, of the importance of making sure the friends you hang around with and, and just a powerful story about the moment that was driven home to him at 18 or 19 years old, okay? Whose opinion matters most? What am I afraid of? Now, that's an important question because they're, um, I'm going to put you on the spot, David. What are the three words in Genesis that speak to how the adversary works in our life? Deception, fear, and hiding. I put him on the spot. Deception, fear, and hiding. Now, in between deception, deception, fear, and then fear and hiding is another word we've learned recently. It's shame. Genesis 2.25 says they were naked and not ashamed. Genesis chapter 3, when the adversary has spoken, they listened to the voice, they were deceived, that was description, they became fearful. When they became fearful, then shame entered. And scripture says they sewed together fig leaves and covered themselves from each other, and then they hid from God. The takeaway we've had for the last three or four weeks that I hope to drive home is shame is at work when my response is, I'm pointing at my wife right now. I'm not going to let you see. I'm not going to let God near. Or people around me, I'm not going to let you see. Covered is what you see. Hiding is proximity. And that is the plight of mankind. And so we wander off into the world. Did you know all five of you are programmed to, I'm not going to let you see, and I'm not going to let him near. We're stamped on our image. Worship is the antithesis of that. Worship is becoming, truth is unhidden before God. So the last thing that I wanted to ask you, when I'm, am I willing to take a risk? I was unaware as I thought through the week, and I don't know of a graduation I've come to where I've thought more deeply about what to say, sincerely. I have three or four places in Scripture I like to go. None of those I'm talking about this morning, historically. But I just thought my own practice in life. 
And can I tell you that worship is that place where I am open and laid bare before him. And it's not just music, but for, music is one of those for me. And I can tell you that I have discovered a backwards reflection this week. Matter of fact, I did it this morning. I turned to the, to the keyboard and I, I began to sing. <clears throat> That's it. We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. I just began to sing that wailed song over and over and over. And there's something that I discover that happens during that. It sort of equips me for the moment, and here's why. So if I were to say this to you, I'd say it to everybody in the room. I've never said this before. So the three, here we go, okay? Whose opinion matters most? What am I afraid of? Have I worshiped today? Because we, are, we, we will find ourselves, listen, the word risk means vulnerability. We sow, remember they sowed fig leaves to hide their vulnerability, transparency from one another and then from God. But if I will start with God, with my vulnerability, I am willing to take a risk. Why? Listen, I haven't, I've mentioned this in passing, and, and I want to apologize to some extent, but I'm not going to this morning, because earlier Laura came up and told you about our children's worship and arts camp. Studies show that the push towards creativity it begins to stop, uh, Hans and Tracy, you guys being educators, I'd love for you to chase this down through your resources. Around the third or fourth grade, parents, you'll recall that they quit sending home pictures of drawings and whatnot. Because around third or fourth grade, you can, in the, in the, when you're in kindergarten and the first grade, you can draw a picture of a purple horse with yellow spots and four heads, and it's like, oh, that is so great. But by the time you get to the third or fourth grade, you're being pressed to deal more with a logical and measurable reality. And if you're still drawing horses with four heads and purple dots, even though they may look more like, it's like, that's just not acceptable. Don't do that. Our creativity is suppressed. By middle school, shame is full on. We're aware of culture. That, that is, what's culture? In middle school, it's the way things are done. It's the value set forth. Do you have what's your hair, your clothes, the phone, whatever? There is full-on awareness of culture and full-on awareness of being shamed. Shame is who I am. Guilt is what I do. We are intentionally taking a worship and arts camp to grab kids at the age when their creativity is being suppressed and saying, no, in the presence of God, you can risk everything. You can dance, you can sing. Did you know the majority of you who don't want to lift up hands or don't want to sing in this sanctuary, that includes me? It is not a natural propensity. Are people who have had shame propagated against them? What is shame? Shame is the point at which I've accepted opinion of me and a voice about me other than his. Because if at any moment I would listen to his. Now listen, let me go back and tell you this. When God's opinion matters most, listen to me. 2 Corinthians 3 said this. Hear me. Because this starts everything. Where God's opinion matters most and rules, transformation will always happen. How do I know that? 
Because at the root of glory is the term opinion. Glory is God's self-opinion being transmitted to us. When his opinion matters most, his essence of him will be transmitted to me. It says the Holy Spirit's work in you is to take that glory and work it to transformation. Transformation then is the point at which God's opinion has clearly been dragged to the center of my life. And there is such a confidence that I'm willing to risk the creativity that God's given me. Whether it's a new idea or new thought, last thing I would say is risk more, be brave. There's nothing more courageous than to share that idea, to share that dream, to share where you think it is God may be wanting you to go. Speak it out loud because his opinion matters more than any other opinion or any other voice. And take it from someone that's listened to the wrong voice and wrong voice says through my life and did not do that. I believe there are no more confident, assertive, and wonderful people than those who listen to the word of God, the voice of God, and that opinion is final. Do you think that's good counsel for our students today? Do you think that's good counsel? How many? See, I've been, I've been unable to measure the idea of... of what's going on in this series because of what's happening, that the, sh the whole shame thing is so just freezing. Everyone look at me. But we, we don't know what to do with that. Here's what I want to ask you. If you have a question about shame, I don't need to have your number, but I'm about to give you mine again. <clears throat> you can say... <laughs> Being free from shame is dancing in public and giving your phone number out to anybody. No, that's not true. But uh, here we go. 865-712. Take your smartphones out right now. Do this. If you'll do this, I promise I'll quit. Take your phones out right now. Unless you're Lee Green, who has a Leroy Gibbs phone. And if you don't know who Leroy Gibbs is, I can't help you. Jethro Gibbs, not Leroy, Jethro, forgive me, I got that wrong. He's the NCIS character who still carries a circa 1998 flip phone, alphanumeric. I was texting Lee last week, uh, just, just been a wonderful brother to, to us in those last several weeks. And, and so I sent him a text message with emojis and whatnot and made a joke, laughing face. And of course, it didn't come across as humorous or whatever. He says, I have no idea what all those little characters mean that just showed up on the screen. Please remember, I have a flip phone that doesn't have the capacity of translating all of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> take it out. What I want you to do is you can take a minute. Matter of fact, I'll give you 60 seconds. 865-712-1646. I don't need to have... I don't need to have your name. If I don't have... Most of you, I wouldn't have in my phone. Many of you, I do. I want to know your questions about shame. I don't care what it is. I want to know your questions about shame. This is a pervasive topic. We're still going to do several more weeks on it, and then we'll be... We'll push the pause button, but it is just so pervasive, okay? We're going to pray over our students today that they will be shame-free. Would you guys? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.